0: I'm not afraid to Hear and read about players who, when they're asked about their future, especially when they're out of contract and they've got uh, offers or been linked to moves, and basically they just they, they come away with the the, the lying off. It's my agent that deals with I just focus on what I what I'm doing just now, and whatever happens, kind of happens. Realistically, how involved are you as a player in your transfer negotiations and your basically? in the process of you moving from one club to another? You're fully in
1: control. Fully in control. As you said, you know, um, saying that you're letting your agent deal with it is probably one that you, you kind of say to the press. But, but behind, behind the scenes, you're fully in control of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, because let's be honest, an agent can't move a player without like the player agreeing agree to it. So an agent's not going to waste his time working on a move to then come to the player at the 11th hour and say, well, we've got this move now for you to go to, you know, whoever. And the player will be like, no, I don't want to go there. You know, as soon as that, a club shows an interest, the agent will say to the player, this is something that interests you or something that might interest you. You want to speak to them and say yes or no. You know, I've, I've kind of turned down moves um, without, without really, you know, speaking to, to clubs. And some people might listen to this and think, well, that, that doesn't make sense. That's wrong for me, you know, there's there's a there's a few things that have to be ticked first. Um and you know, all clubs have kinda of have reputations, They're all players talk all managers kinda of have reputations. Um so there's, there's been a few that just haven't interested me a, at a time and I've said, you know, it doesn't interest me. I want to concentrate on what I'm doing here. I'm happy where I am. Um so there's no point you speaking to that club for me because I wanna continue doing what I'm doing here. Um but yeah players are players are are fully in control of of what's going on um you know, so it's kind of a cop out from our end, really, when we do say, "Oh, I'm yeah, <laughs> dealing with it," because I've used that one before myself. But really, it's been me. The agent works for the player, you know, not the other way around.
0: How are contract negotiations or uh, uh, contract details worked? Are you? I picture it as yourself and your agent sat on one side of the desk, and then I don't know the sport director manager sitting on the other side of the desk, and you're just chucking numbers at each other. Is that something? near the truth or how does that kind of play out
1: yeah well i've i've, I've negotiated my own contracts um since being at Hibs. okay so, yeah i i i knock the door and then i go in normally in my training get and you know we try and come to some sort of agreement yeah you know the club will say you know they, they're happy to pay you x and then you you know if for me i've just wanted to get things sorted out so if i'm happy with it and it's been accepted if i'm not happy with it I'll, I'll go away have a think about it and i'll come back to them with another number. I won't just come back to them with another number. I'll come back. The reason that I think that, you know, I deserve to be paid this number, um, I think it always strengthens your argument if you've got a few things to back it up rather than just saying, I want X amount. Um, But, you know, in terms of, there's a lot of agents out there that aren't very transparent and, you know, have ulterior motives uh, rather than, you know, just being interested in looking after the player. You know, they're, they're normally doing something else. And that's not all agents. So don't get me wrong. There are some very, very good agents out there. But just one or two I've come across during my time, you know, haven't been you know that way inclined. So I, I deal with things myself now, and you know, I just go and, and, and have an honest meeting, and probably for the clubs, it's probably refreshing mm-hmm. because you know that I'm, I'm I'm not hiding behind an agent. I'll, I'll sit there and look you eye, eye to eye, and I'll, I'll say this is the reason I think I deserve this, and you know, I've, I've as you said, you know, I've kind of signed two contracts at Hibs, I signed one at Livingston, so I can't be too bad at it. You know, I know mm-hmm. what I love. And then I tell them the reason why I think I deserve that. And, you know, they've, they've all been in agreement as to as to why I should get what, what I wanted.
0: And how helpful are, like, teammates? Is everyone kind of looking out for each other when it comes to contracts? So when you are about to enter, uh, like, do you know what you're worth and why? Uh, and you put across your case, why? do you kind of know what everyone else is on in that dressing room is not a case of like uh, everyone's bragging about it but just kind of a helpful this is what this is how they dealt with me etc etc no no never
1: um you know and sometimes in some training rooms people do talk about these sorts of things but I always keep myself well away from that Hmm. and the reason I do do that is because it doesn't matter what somebody else is on you know I'm gonna go into what makes me happy so you know, I've negotiated a contract before and, and, and came out or my agents negotiated one. I was actually younger. My agent negotiated one, came out of it, signed the contract. Three weeks later, another player went in, got more money than me. He doesn't really play. This is coming from my agent. He's like, well, they've kind of done this over here. And I'll be like, no, I'm I'm happy with this figure. You know, this is the figure I was happy with. You've got me my figure. There's no hard feelings towards the club. You know, I negotiated to, to a figure that I'm happy with. My life doesn't revolve around what other people are getting or what other people are doing. This is what Marvin Bartley's happy with. So now let me just concentrate on my football, you know? And, and that's, that's a very important thing, I think, for players. It doesn't matter what other players are on. If you go in and negotiate your contract and you're happy with it at that point in time, you shouldn't then become unhappy with it because somebody else is getting paid something else. You know, mm-hmm. that, doesn't, that doesn't matter. You know, if you think you're deserving of more, make it be because my performances have improved, you know? Um... I'm doing well for a club. i pay X amount of games in a row. Not because Joe Bloggs is now getting paid £200 more than me. I'm a deserver of that as well. That's, that's not how football works. And that, well, that's not how it should work. And us as professionals, that's how we should be. You know, Whenever I go in for a new contract or go in for a, to get a contract, whenever that's happened, it's always been because I'm performing, not because, you know, as I just said there, Joe Bloggs is getting more money.
0: That, that That's interesting because, again, it, it means that there's one less thing to focus on. That's, I think, but well, it's probably a good way to look at it. And I think if you are too, too worried about what everyone else is earning, that's that's just that's going to affect you well. It's in training, or it's going to be on your mind going in into the game and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and as footballers, and and I'm, I have this outlook on life. You know, there's some things in in the world that you can't control. So why are you worrying about them? I can't worry about what the club are paying him because I'm I'm not in control of that. I can't go to the club and say, right, deduct his money or give him this in his contract. No, I, I don't have control of that. I can only have control of what I'm doing. First and foremost is what I'm doing on the pitch. And the second thing is what I do when I go in and speak about a new contract, whether that's with an agent or without one. You know, it, it, that, they're, they're the things I can control. Con- control the controllables. Forget about the rest of it. It doesn't make any difference. And you know what? Some players lie about what they want anyway. So unless you see the contract, you know, good luck to you. You know, it's It's, it's one of those things. I I've been at a club before when, you know, I had a cause and my contract had to be the highest paid and someone comes and, and starts bragging about, Oh yeah, I'm getting this, this and this and I can sit there and say, No, they are not because I'm not getting that. You know, my wages would have went up to that. So you within the football world and probably within, you know, all walks of life and all industries, you have to take some things with a pinch of salt sometimes.
0: Now we're talking about the actual the move itself too, so, so you've 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 had two Big moves in terms of distance. You went from Bournemouth to Burnley, and then Leighton Orient to Hibs. What What's it like having to basically uproot your life? And when, like, when you moved to Hibs, were Were there things that you looked for straight away, like uh, certain restaurants or uh, specific areas to to live? And did you get tips from players or uh, like the the management?
1: Yeah. So um, when moving to Burnley. Um, so Eddie had been up there a little bit before me and Jason Tindall. So they were able to, you know, they were looking at, at houses and whatever else themselves. So they were able to put me in, you know, in touch with people who could help me. Um, obviously, once you start meeting a few of the other players and whatever else, then it, it becomes a bit easier because, you know, you know where they live and whoever you kind of look about outside of football, you, you move closer with them. Um, coming up to... To to Hibs, um, you know, spoke about areas, and, and I said the most important thing for me is to have somewhere you know with nature walks, you know, for, for my dog, mm-hmm. um, and you know, people saying I'll go and live in city uh, centre, go live here, go live there, and I actually ended up for anyone who who knows the area, uh, the army barracks near in Pennycook, quite near there, and people were like, oh well, why are you why are you living there? You shouldn't live there. It's a bit rough, and you know, I, I lived around there, and I spent. You know, three and a half years there and if that's what rough is in Scotland then you know I'm more than happy to live in, in, in that <laughs> area honestly because you know I, I lived there and, and met some wonderful wonderful people um you know there was predominantly heart supporters but we used to have great banter you know I lived in, in, in a great kind of neighborhood and um, everyone looked out for each other and the important thing that I wanted it was was, was the walk you know the Pentlands were just up behind me um, you know, there was there was various other other dog walks, there's an old railway track and, and, and stuff. So for me it was amazing, you know, and, and people might look at it and be like, Oh, you know, a why is he living there? And I actually heard that from a few people. why do you live there? It was a bit rough there. Well no, it's not. it's it's lovely, you know. I'm I'm from a working class background myself, so you know, that's where I feel most comfortable. Um and as I said, I love my time there and many times people said to move and this, that and the other, but no, I was I was comfortable within within that area and as I said I really, really loved it. So yeah, sometimes people will try and advise you on where to live, um, but, you know, I'm quite one of those people that I think I can adapt to wherever I live and, you know, it's been, it's been relatively straightforward um, for me when I have moved to clubs and I moved to areas. I just, I just kind of settle in and just, just get on with the, with the local
0: people. So, you mentioned that they are the banner of Hearts fans, and we have to talk about it the, the rivalry of Hearts. There's, of course, been one or two unsavory incidents over the last few years, and then, of course, fans reply to you on Twitter with links to the, the, the fine you received all the time. But what's it like having thousands of fans openly despise you?
1: I love it. Um, absolutely love it. Um, to hear people boo me and, and shout and whatever else I'm on the pitch, it, it kind of spurs me on. Um, you know, very few things in football can make me try harder, make me get an extra percent out of myself. But I, I genuinely think that that does. Um, listen, the, the things that if you kind of mentioned there that have stepped over the line, I, I will never, ever say that they're from heart supporters. They're mm-hmm. from people that are within the ground. You know, that they're, there they're not supporters of, of any football club. Um, so, you know, I take that. I take that. Out of the the equation and, and don't put that within the kind of the rivalry between the two. As I said to you there, you know, I lived in, a, in in an area that was heavily dominated by by heart supporters, and the banter was always the same. You know, leading up to the game, there become a bit of nervousness, and they probably wouldn't talk to me the day or two before when I saw them, or the day day or two after if if, if Hibbs had got a positive result. But other than that, it was you know it was fantastic, and we'd have banter and this that and the other, and, and I really enjoyed it. But yeah, stepping into a stadium where, where no one likes you, you know, kind of my attitude to that is bring it on, and I must be doing something that they don't like on the pitch, otherwise they wouldn't even be concentrating on me. Um, so yeah, that's that's the kind of the way I deal with it.
0: I think it just simply adds to adds to the whole atmosphere, the, the whole tribalism aspect of football when there are particular players in certain teams that antagonise fans because as it's it's I always find it fascinating going to games and seeing people and they are. 30s 40s 50s just lose the rag at, at, at players for just simply playing for a different team
1: yeah yeah no it's, it's exactly so it's, it's it's one of those things I just I just don't understand it maybe it's my style of play or, or whatever that frustrates them a little bit more as well um I'm, I'm not actually sure but no as I said like it's, it's one of those things I, I enjoy it you know it shows a bit of passion um and I'd much rather you know whether it's opposition fans or whatever, show that little bit more passion and show that they care about their club than them to sit there with their, you know, their their hands under their bums, so to speak, and and not be doing anything. So let's say I'll take it with a pinch of salt, but I really do enjoy that side of football. Um, And, you know, I I think I've kind of shown that in the the performances I've put on in, in derbies.
0: I do, because I, I remember when you're when we were speaking on a view from the terrace, you always say you always add, you always give an extra percent or two when you play against Hearts, and then within a few days, you scored your first, was it your first ever goal in Scotland, or was it certainly was yeah, your yeah, first goal in a very long time? <laughs> yeah. No, it was the first goal in Scotland, yeah.
1: Um, I think it was the first time I've been in the, the opposition box, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, no, it, was, it was it was nice to, to <laughs> see that chance fall to me, and then for it to hit the back of the net, um, you know what a, what a great feeling it was, and that that kind of split second of silence where everyone was just like anyone but him um, was was even more amazing. So no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that goal. Um,
0: definitely, I've, I've got to admit that when it hit the back of the net, I. I think I and Me, I think Craig Fowler as well. I think we must be the only two people in the stadium that were laughing. And then I kind of just, I just, I just stopped as like, I can't believe that has happened. Happened as my as my ha, uh, head fell on my hands.
1: I don't think anyone could believe it. I really don't. Um, and it was weird because in the change room before the game, I was saying to the boys, like, I think I'm going to score today. Um, oh really? Yeah, genuinely said to. Them, I think I'm going to score. But don't get me wrong, I said it a few times before and. and, and probably played about three out of ten. Um, but, yeah, I said to him, I, I feel like I'm going to score, and it, it was weird. I kind of thought to myself, right, just hang around this position, because I can see the ball coming out here, and, you know, as if by luck or skill or whatever it actually did, and I just thought, right, let's get good, con- good contact on the ball, because I'm so close to the goal, he's not going to be able to save it, unless he's lucky enough to be in line with it, and it smashes him in the face or something. So when I got good connection, as I said, I kind of hit the nail It was... It was amazing. It was amazing feeling. Because normally I prefer, you know, people say to me, prefer to smash someone in a tackle or score a goal. I say, no, I'm definitely a tackle. You know, I enjoy tackles. But I think that goal there was the only one that I probably enjoy more than a tackle.
0: Yeah, your you, your celebration certainly said so. <laughs> <laughs> Are there, you, you mentioned when we're talking about your re- reception at Tyne at Castle and how it spurs you on. Have you played with players who dislike that side of the game and it really affects them on the pitch
1: yeah um definitely i've definitely played with boys who, who who don't like that side of it um and you can kind of see it getting in their head even in the warm-up and then you come back in just you know getting changes before the game starts you can see there's a there's a kind of nervousness to them um so yeah you know it, it, it does definitely work against some players um you know, especially if they then go and have a bad first five minutes, it kind of that's them for the game. Um, don't get me wrong; if they do have a good five minutes, in it sometimes it's slightly different. But yeah, they have a bad five minutes, and it's uh, it, it's against them, and they're thinking, "Wow!" And you can you can tell they're not going to have a good game. So it definitely does work against some players. But for me personally, I, I enjoy it. Um, I really do enjoy it
0: because some players talk about they get into a mindset where they they don't really hear the crowd I, again is is that just one of those media answers that you can you can kind of or, or can you actually switch off and not pay attention or as a footballer in those environments are you hearing, especially when you're really close to the edge of stand can you really hear everything um, when, when, when I'm playing so when the game's in full flow I can't I don't kind of hear anything
1: mm-hmm. Um, so even as I pause in play and you know then you actually concentrate and you do start hearing it but, you know, I would love to have had player cam on myself during some of the derbies, because when I'm hearing it, I'm just laughing. Like, yeah. I'm literally just laughing because I'm just, like, thinking, oh, mate, whatever. Because the same guy out there abusing me and shouting stuff at me, he's the same guy that I see when I'm walking, you know, from Tesco's back to my house where I used to live. And he'd be like, oh, you're right, mate, blah, blah, blah. So it's just, it's just one of those things, you know, we, we sit within the stadium and, and fans get their, their colours on and they, and they they turn into these these different people. But, no, I, I honestly... I. I love it, but I don't I don't hear it when I'm playing. Um, I just go about my job. But when there's a pause in play, you definitely do hear it. I think the the only thing that I did hear that was a, a massive kind of eruption was when um, I was running down the line, and I can't remember the centre-half was coming and cleared me out. Uh, what's his name? John, John Suter? John Suter, yeah. Yeah, playing in the derby, and they made it into a gift. But I remember when he came across and slid and took me out, and then I heard a massive like, yeah! Everyone was absolutely buzzing. That's probably the only time where I've actually thought, oh gosh, like you don't have won this one. So, I'm actually <laughs> <letting that tackle.
0: laughs> so when we we were originally meant to have this chat on the anniversary of the 2016 Scottish Cup final, but thankfully things came up <laughs> and we <laughs> we had to move it, but. We, I suppose, we we have to talk about that Scotch uh, Scotch Cup win. There was coming back at Tyne Castle, I think it was in your very first derby, the two-two, winning the replay, yeah. the semi-final, Conrad Logan, then the final. There's there's obvious standouts, but is is there a particular moment during that kind of during that run from uh, from kind of Tyne Castle to lifting the, the the cup, or in the days afterwards that that really stands out for you? Um. The two things that
1: stand out for me personally was definitely the 2-2 the, the two, two draw um, is one that 100% stands out and, and the parade. Um, you know, Obviously, I didn't play in the final. I enjoyed everything you know, that came with it. Um, it was fantastic to be in around the boys. But for me, on a personal level, the 2-2 the two, two draw at, at, at Tyne Castle where you know we then took uh, Hearts back down to Easter Road um that, that, for me, that comeback and Paul Handling's score at the end was, was fantastic. And I think it was deserved. You know, I think the two goals were, were kind of, we were in control of the game and we, we conceded the two goals, um, you know, in a period the not, Sorry, the goals were in control and it was frustrating, highly frustrating, especially the second one was what a strike that was. Um, but then when we, got, when we did draw 2-2 and, and you know, we, we knew we haven't had the replay, I was more than confident that, you know, Eastern Road would beat Hearts. Um, and I don't know whether you know, speaking to the players and that them, I don't know whether they had that same, you know, we will go there and beat them. You know, every, every derby I went into, uh, rightly or wrongly, I, I thought to myself, one, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to outperform the other centre midfielder, and two, we're going to win this game, you know, by any means necessary. And that was always my attitude going into the derby. So I knew in the replay we would win that. Um, and then the parade, I mean, that was probably for the first time or one of the few times in my career I kind of flashed back um, to be in the, the boy being released uh, from a team called Burn and the amateur team when I was 18, because you know now I'm on on, on a on a, a victory parade after winning the Scottish Cup, um, and there's 150,000 people you know lining the streets and there's a sea of green. You know that that feeling there um, when we turned the corner and we saw all that you know all the negative things that had happened in my in my footballing career. Um, I flashed back to then and, and thought to myself. To myself rather, you know, wow, like a young boy from Reading, um, how have you achieved this? You know, how have you come this far when at eighteen you were you were told that you weren't good enough and you're released by an amateur team? You know, ten years later, eleven years later, here you are. Um, you know, o- o- on the bus, you know, going down probably as a as a legend at the football club because you won the Scottish Cup. Um you know, this this is really the things that dreams are made of. And, and a lot of people doubted me when I made the move to Scotland or doubted why I was doing it or my hunger for football. Um, and I think, you know, that that kind of shut a lot of people up.
0: And how much did you know about the the cup one and how much it, it meant to him? Because... Hearts fans always uh, sung about it, about it being the last time they won it was 1902. How much was that discussed? How much did you have that drummed into you? And how much could you understand the outpouring of joy from Hibs fans when not only when the cup, uh, the, the, the final whistle went and they poured on the pitch, but then also on the parade the, the, the following day when, again, thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands uh, turned out on, onto the streets of Edinburgh?
1: That's the thing. I, I had no idea. I really didn't have any idea. Um how much it meant to the club or how long it had been. Um, it started to become apparent how important it was when I, I remember I was in the taxi and I was speaking to the taxi driver, a, a friend now called Kevin. And, you know, he was speaking about, you know, getting promoted out of the championship. And I was like, obviously, you know, as, as a club, that's our main ambition this year. And he's like, no, 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 the cup is. So I was like, the cup? And he's like, yeah, the cup's, you know, the cup is, forget getting promoted out the championship. We'll take another year here just to win the cup. And this was early on. This is when I first moved up. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought, well, what, what kind of mindset is that? Like, surely everyone wants to be in the top flight. And then it became more, more and more apparent that the further we went on in time, that just how important it was. Um, you know, and it, it kind of is weird because then the pressure that you then put upon yourself because you don't want to disappoint these people um, is massive. Um, and then, yeah, playing, playing in, in, in the derby and being drawn hearts. I remember the group chat went crazy and so so does social media, and then it was even more important that not only goal, we need to beat Hearts to Golden and possibly get to the final or, you know, get further along in the Scottish Cup, we need to beat them because it's the derby. So, you know, I didn't know of this importance until until I came up here. I'd be a liar if I said anything different. Um, but very quickly, you know, when when all fans were saying that the Scottish Cup was more important than winning the championship, um, I definitely knew, you know, just what it meant.
0: Reluctantly, I'm going to go back to the 2-2 game. <laughs> the 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 mood at half time in the dressing room and the mood at full time what what were the contrasts was the real feeling afterwards that this there was there was no chance that house were not getting through to the next round
1: yeah so so at half time there was still a feeling of you know we just like we we can still do this boys we can still and it wasn't just go come back and you know, draw the game. We can win this game. We can still do it. We can win this game, boys. We can win this game. You know, we haven't played too badly. You know, both the goals, as I said earlier, have come against a kind of run of play. We can still do this. There's 45 minutes to go. After the game, it was right, let's get them back down to Easter Road. Like everyone, we, we would whether you know everyone believed it at a half time that we could get back into it, I'm not sure. But definitely after that game, you know, every single person was like, wow back at Easter Road, Hearts cannot beat us. You know, and that's, that's a crazy mindset because at this point we're in the Championship and Hearts are in the Premier League. But the confidence there was not, Hearts cannot beat us at Easter Road. We know this. We get them back there, we'll absolutely batter them. And that was our mindset. And I don't know, as I keep saying to you, I don't know if those Hearts players had that same mindset. I don't know if they, they thought the same. I don't know if they feared Easter Road. I don't know if they feared us in that first game because even in the first game going to Timecastle, we were saying the same thing. We can beat them. Now, how confident were they in beating us? I'm not sure. You know, I, I can't answer that question. But definitely, after that game, we knew that you know, coming to Eastermo there was there was no chance that we were going to lose that game.
0: Yeah, because I'm not sure how much about the derby history you know, but there has been been two very long runs in uh, derby history with hearts. I think we're at 17 unbeaten and uh, 22 unbeaten, and it was kind of it, it kind of created this perception that it was hearts were more confident going to derbies uh they're kind of more up for it and th- that's that was that's kind of how it was it was set out so it was it's interesting to hear that from uh, uh hip's point of view especially when it came around the time of the the phrase hipster and how how much did that annoy people at the at the club and how did that mentality start to kind of change? Well, it was under Stubbs or Lenin because I know Lenin. He he mentioned a few times about have uh, hips having this boy band persona and maybe not going through and and, and delivering. Was was that discussed within the, within the, within the dressing room? No. So you know you,
1: you see you see these things and, and and you know what actually I say no to you. Maybe it was discussed, but I don't I don't take part in those sorts of conversations. You know I, I didn't. You talk about the long runs that, you know, had, had happened in the past. I didn't know anything about that. Mm. No. As I said to you earlier, I don't try and control the things that, are, that I can't control. You know, trying to control the uncontrollable is you send yourself, mad. One thing I did know, when I stepped on that pitch, wearing that hips jersey, and we were playing against Hearts, I was coming out on top. That was always my mindset. So regardless of what happened you know, before me, regardless of what happens after me, while I'm out there, while I'm playing, I'm going to make sure the midfield battle is won. By Hibs. That's all I can do. That's all I can control. Then I've got to work. The strikers need to do their job. The defenders need to do their job. The goalkeeper the same. So the Hibs did and, you know, the, the kind of fear of hearts. There was no fear. From me personally, there was no fear. Whether there was fear from other boys, I don't know. But I think positivity is infectious. So when I got on that pitch and they say, well, hang on a minute, Marvin's not giving two hoops what's going on here. He's giving absolutely everything, you know. He's willing to give everything out on that pitch you know follow suit i wasn't hiding from anything because i didn't know about the the, the, the past history and hearts mm. being dominant or whatever else and that probably helped me so if i didn't know about that it'd probably been extra pressure but i didn't care about that because i wasn't there then at that point um so you know i think as i say i think it's infectious when people see players you know going into a tackle not, not fearing it you know winning the ball back um playing forward to his teammate running forward whatever I think that helps everybody and that was kind of my mindset going into those games. And if at the start there was maybe a bit of fear or a bit of nervousness that, I, as I said, I don't know about because I don't really take part in those sorts of conversations, definitely, you know, after the first couple of derbies that, that, that had firmly gone away and there was a confidence Toronto Castle or Easter Road we can win the game.
0: Before we move on, I just want to go back to the, the parade on the Sunday and ask, was there any? what was the... Standout moment from that was there any moment that made you laugh? Because of course you're driving past tens of thousands of very drunk people. Was was there anything that still stays with you from that day? <laughs>
1: um, yeah,
0: same people. I didn't
1: know people. What? Well, firstly, I didn't know people could find lampposts that well. <laughs> I not know lampposts were that strong to hold about flipping five people. um Yes, because obviously they're climbing to the top, and we were at the top, obviously, of the bus. I was thinking, wow, like. I remember looking from one side to the other and seeing people. I was like, how are they so high? So I walked over to that side of the bus and that's what they were doing. They were on the top of there. But no, yeah, there's a lot of drunk people. I think a lot of people have stayed up since the since the win uh, until the parade. But, you know, now there was nothing that really stood out other than the, the sheer support that we had and, and, and the chance and just the interaction between the, the boys on the bus, the staff on the bus and the uh, and, and the supporters. Um, you know a fantastic fantastic experience and the one that I'll take to my grave and you know as, as I say many people play football and managing football for many years and don't get to experience something like that but you know I've managed to do that so you know nothing nothing but positives and other than people climbing the posts, that's probably the only thing that kind of sticks with me.
0: When asked that question I was thinking to myself you've got Jason Cummings on the bus so anything <laughs> that someone's doing outside the bus he's he's more than matching.
1: Yeah, exactly, and he's more than matched it through through that that year. You know, you don't forget I've been training and playing with him for a year at this point. So, uh, there's not a lot of things that I can see now that Jason Cummins hasn't hasn't topped. So, you know, my mind's pretty pretty open to seeing anything right about now.
0: What's the craziest thing he's done?
1: <laughs> One of the craziest things is him wrestling with I can't remember what the guy's name. Oh, is. Grado. Now. Yeah, Grado came in and and I remember I was walking around. I came back into the changing room and Jace's in his in his in his Y fronts and he's he's taping himself up. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm gonna have a wrestling match. I was like, oh, okay. Normally it's him and Martin Boyle. So I was like, oh, okay, they're gonna have a little fight in here. Okay. And then he's then he's said all right, get me my backing music. I was like, what's going on? And he's all about this Grado. But it almost went wrong because there's a glass table within that that area of the of the canteen. And Jace almost like smashed into it. And this was I think, was it before the final or the, or the semi-final? He almost smashed into it. I'm thinking, wow, like a couple of inches to the left. This story could have been a whole lot different. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the things up there. The other things are probably not audible, what it, what it used to get up to, to be honest.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. We'll leave, we'll leave that there. And thankfully, we'll leave the Scottish Cup final there as well. <laughs> uh, so obviously, Stubbs left. In the in the summer, and Neil Lennon came in. How big a change was that at the, at the club? Because I've spoken to Darren McGregor before, and he mentioned about the first meeting that Lennon did, and it was if if I could picture or imagine anything very Neil Lennon, this was it.
1: Yeah, um, you know, he he kind of came in and he spoke about. Um, he spoke. He spoke about what we had achieved last season, but said you're still failures because you didn't get promoted. I covered this side shouldn't be in the championship, um, so don't think you're legends just because you won a Scottish Cup. And then he kind of moved on to what was going to be happening under him. He said that Hibbs will be in a Premier League the following season. That's with or without us in that in that dressing room. Um, you know, if you if you're up for it, then strap yourselves in because we're going to go on one hell of a ride. If you're not, then get your agent to call me or come and knock my door. Um, and you can leave the club and he said yeah there'll be some bystanders who can't you know go up to the level that I need them to and they find it too hard or they won't want to do it that's fine you know you can leave the club Um, but this 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 club will be in the Premier League next season and that's as, as, as he said earlier with or without you boys and it kind of like you know over the summer we've been legends and people have been like blowing smoke up our butts and whatever else Suddenly, Neil Lennon's came in and said, "Yeah, well done for from the Scottish Cup, but you still failed in getting out of the Championship." And you know, the reality hit, and he kind of let you know, "Listen, these are the demands. This is what we're going to do, and you'll buy into it. If you don't buy into it, get out." And he was straight to the point. You know, he was transparent, and that's all you can ask for from a manager. Um, and yeah, his demands were high, but you know, he was true to his word. He got promoted out of a. Out of a people say I was in the easy league and took you. Three years or whatever it took to get out, but you know it's never easy when you're when you're the cup final for for every team in that league. It's never easy.
0: So did the the players have to make a a swift change in mindset from Stubbs? Was it very different under Lennon?
1: Yeah, um, there was definitely a change in mindset. Um, the demands were were a lot higher. Stubbs is a, a different type of manager. Um, mm. He's very friendly uh, with most. Um, so he's different, you know, that's the way he, he likes to manage. Lennon doesn't want to be your friend. He wants you to be the best you can possibly be. But there's that that line um, between, you know, he is your manager, you are the player. That's it. You know, that never cross that into a friendship kind of zone. That that, that doesn't happen. Um, he, he's just interested in winning. H- how he gets you motivated to win, how he gets the team to win, he doesn't care about. He just wants to win. Um, and as long as he gets three points on a Saturday, his job's done. Where Stubbs is probably, yes, don't get me wrong. Equally, he's extremely worried about you wanting know, three points and whatever else. But he's probably, you know, a, well he's not probably. He is a lot friendlier um, in terms of how he interacts with the boys and being one of the lads rather than you know there wasn't always that clear line between management and player.
0: It did seem to me from from the outside when Lennon came in, it was just he just seemed to be the perfect manager. To take over from from Stubbs and the, exactly what Hibbs needed at that point in time.
1: Yeah, um, definitely. I think if you look look at the Hibbs mantra um, in terms of what they try and do, I think they always they're a club that are always trying to evolve. Um, and they're all trying to promote youth. Um, you know, they've got their own kind of uh, philosophy that they want to stick to. I think if if they're honest, I think Lennon's probably against the grain in terms of you know he, he was just there to get us out of that league. He was. A, specialist in, in winning in Scotland um he's a huge capture for the club especially in the championship and I think they said to themselves you know what let's maybe put um you know moving forward and promoting youth and whatever let's put that on hold for for a season or two and let's just get this club back to the Premier League and then we can relook really at it again um and I think that's what that appointment was you know he was he was there to, to win um and it was kind of always going to be like a, when I say a short-term thing. He's never going to be there for five years, you know. Um, but I, I think at that time, I exactly what the club needed, and as players and being in that dressing room, it was definitely what we needed. Uh, because as I said, it you know proves in the pudding when it got us promoted.
0: The second half of the first season back in the the Premiership, you, you didn't play too much simply because there was Delamicky, John McGinn, and Scott Allen. What was it like having those three in midfield?
1: Oh, um, unbelievable. Um, you know, I think Dylan doesn't get the, probably the, the recognition that he deserves because he was kind of overshadowed by uh, John McGinn. Um, not, not in terms of performance, but I mean in style. John McGinn's, you know, picked the game up by the scruff of the neck and, and run through a brick wall with everyone on his back kind of thing. Um, where Dylan's probably um, a bit more fleet-footed, where he definitely isn't. You know, that's kind of his style when he just sits on the edge of things and he kind of dictates it that way. Great partnership. You know, two fantastic, fantastic players. Great partnership. Um, obviously, Scott A. Allen in, in the number 10. Um, again, absolutely brilliant. Um, can find a pass. But probably John and Dylan were playing in a position where, where I play or better suited to play. And so I was watching them more. And they, they were fantastic. And, you know, I, I didn't mind sitting on the side and and watching them play. Yes, some games I thought I should have played um, when I didn't, but that, that's every footballer who, who's who got an ambition to to do anything in the game. You always think you should be playing, always think you can have something different. But to watch those two was fantastic. And, you know, there were two great lads off the pitch as well. Uh, two people I still keep in contact to to this day. So, you know, I was more than happy to to watch them flourish and and, and go on and do great, great things. Um, but, yeah, it was it, it was hard because I want to play. I want to play every single game. But, you know, I was also... You know, mindful that these boys are, are top top professional footballers and they're doing a, a top top job.
0: What goes through your What goes through your mind to build up to games, to be prepared when you you kind of know that you might not be starting, especially when you've got three players of like that who've gelled in the middle of the pitch. How did you have to adapt to that?
1: Well, I adapted in a very different way to what I did at Burnley. As, as I said, it's it's so important in in life that you learn from previous experiences. Um, and at Burnley, when I was on the outside watching in, you know, I began to probably feel sorry for myself, um, didn't do the extra, didn't keep myself fit. Where this time, I said to myself, right, that's fair enough. The manager's picking these players, I can deal with that. Keep yourself as fit and as ready well as you possibly can be when your opportunity does come. You know, and that's why I think from every experience, you know, good or bad, you must learn something from it. Um, and, and I definitely. You know, I was better suited to dealing with the <clears throat> the sitting on the side at Hibs because of the experience I had at Burnley. So, you know, I was always in the best condition as I possibly could have been without playing games, um, waiting for my opportunity. And mentally it helped me do a bit a lot better as well because I was keeping myself in physical shape. Um, so, yeah, it was hard because, as I said, you know, I want to play. I, I, I'm a winner. You know, I always want to play. I'll be 40 years of age and I'll be thinking, oh, I can probably do... Know, what that young boy there is doing, mm-hmm. which I know I wouldn't be able to, but that's just my mindset. Um, so, yeah, it was difficult in, in that sense of of it, but I managed to do a it a lot, lot, lot better than what I did when I was at Burnley.
0: When did you know that your time at Hibs was, was up? Mm, probably...
1: Hmm. Probably, if I'm honest, uh, maybe a, maybe a quarter of the way into... Uh, last season um I just wasn't wasn't playing as, as much as I wanted to be I probably wasn't getting the opportunities that I wanted I was I was in and out and I was finding it harder to be that in and out player you know when I'm twenty nine, thirty, 28 29 30 it, it's a little bit easier to, to do that and people be like oh you're only 32 when this was happening but it's, it makes a, a huge difference you know, when you're, you're you're in the in the team for one game, you're out for for six. You're in the team for one game, you're out for six. Um, you know, I found that that extremely hard um, to deal with, and my body. I just couldn't I couldn't be the player that I wanted to be. You know, I didn't want to shortchange supporters who have supported me all this time. You know, that wasn't that wasn't something that I wanted to do. And I said to myself, do you know what? If this doesn't kind of change by the end of the season or towards the end of the season, probably gonna end up looking elsewhere. Um, and, you know, things didn't really change. Um, I got a small injury. I was out, out of the squad and I came back in. Um, things kind of changed under Lennon. Paul Heckenbottom came in uh, for the last, I think it was, was it eight or ten games. And, and, you know, I didn't start a game under Paul. Um, and at this point, I, I knew, well, this is going to be the future um, of the club in terms of Paul. So, you know, it's probably best I look elsewhere. And for me, Paul was a fantastic, fantastic manager, fantastic coach. Mm. Um, you know very close to Eddie Howe, in terms of ability to coach great man manager, um, so I really enjoyed my time underneath him. Um, but I knew from a personal point of view, I wanted to play football, I wanted to start games um, and you know I was probably going to have to go elsewhere to do that
0: was was it a difficult decision because you 've obviously got such an affiliation with the club and the fans, and we 've seen that when you got your send off in the final game of this season, but was it? Did that make it difficult or did you know because you, because you kind of decided so early on in the season that you were looking to go somewhere else, that made the transition or the, the separation a bit easier?
1: No, no, it was, it was extremely difficult. You know, I'm not going to sit and tell you. It wasn't, you know, telling yourself that you need to do something and then actually doing it at two different things. Um, I'll never forget when I made the decision to to leave the club. And uh, signed my pre-contract at Livingston. That I went home the day before that, and I actually cried because I was just like, "Wow, you know, this is—it's actually come to this." You know, yes, I probably tried to subconsciously prepare myself for this. Um, I wasn't prepared for it, you know. And and it was a—it was a gut-wrenching moment to 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 know that it was actually over, and you're actually going to go and sign for another club. Um, as you said, you know, I'd had a, a, a fantastic time there, met some great people from, from fans to staff to, to everyone um, truly love the club you know still watch out for their results still speak to people you know on the playing staff and non-playing staff um, so so when I had to leave and you know and I made that decision even before signing the contract as I said I went home from training and I was like right Marvin you, you're gonna have to go and sign this contract you know it's, it's only fair on yourself because you want to be playing more football that, that I cried and it was it was the strangest feeling ever um, you know and, and that night I probably didn't get much sleep because I was I was truly heartbroken that I was leaving that place you know people say you're only there for a short short time or whatever else they they might view it that way but I truly loved every second of it every single second and to know that that was going to be no more um, was difficult uh, you know it, it was really difficult but I, I had to do from a selfish point of view I needed to play more football and then I then I started to think, you know, things happen in four or five year cycles in football and you've been there for four years. You know, you've left the club in a better position than when when you walked through the doors. You know, you've you have you have played part in winning the Scottish Cup, you've been promoted out of the championship, you've, you know, played in Europe twice. You know, maybe it is time to move on. A lot of the teammates who were there at the start weren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were the kind of the, 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 the positives that I was trying to, to give myself to probably try and calm myself down, uh, down rather, but the, the tears are still flowing.
0: <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.